Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Hey everyone, it's Mark here. Today we have a very special episode for you. On February the 3rd, we were asked to join the Two Regular Guys podcast that's hosted by Aaron Montgomery and Terry Combs. For those of you who do not know about that podcast, it is the leading independent podcast that represents the screen printing and decorating industry. In many respects, it has a lot in common with Promo Kitchen in that it's hosted by an independent group of people that are interested in furthering the conversation within their particular industry. And given that the decorating and screen printing industry has so much in common with the promotional products industry, we thought that there'd be great synergy. Big shout out to Chef Marshall Atkinson for coordinating this, given that he's friends with both Aaron and Terry. And what's going to follow here is a recording of the live megacast that the four of us had around the art and science of podcasting. So without further ado, I bring you the Promo Kitchen slash Two Regular Guys Megacast. I hope you enjoy. Welcome into the show today, guys. Marshall and Mark, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. We're great. Yeah. Mark's bio is way more impressive than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, based on the length of those bios, I want to thank you guys for being on the show today, and we're going to have to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> Show's over. <laughs> no, uh, hey, uh, Aaron and I, the two regular guys, are really excited to be a part of your podcast today as well over at promokitchen.org. But before we start our roundtable discussion, how about if you guys tell us a little bit about Promo Kitchen, and we'll start with you, Mark. Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. You guys have done a fantastic job of launching this podcast and growing it over the last several years. So it's a huge honor to be here. A little bit of background about Promo Kitchen is we started this organization in 2011, and it was a group of distributors and suppliers in the promotional products industry that got together and decided to create an independent forum that focused on education and mentorship within the promotional products industry. And it really came about because a bunch of us were engaged on the education front in the industry. And we reflected on the fact that it's challenging to get into the promotional products industry without a lot of guidance and maybe mentorship. So we said, well, why don't we pool our collective energies and enthusiasm to help younger people or just anyone within the industry that wants to share ideas and you know maybe get a leg up? And what that started off with was a blog at promokitchen.org, and then it evolved into a podcast where we've been podcasting almost about as long as you have and have just really focused on trying to create a platform where people can share ideas and come together and help each other within the promotional products industry. Fantastic. Well, Marshall, do you have anything to add to that description? One of the things I like about participating with Promo Kitchen is the mentorship 
and the coaching element. And I think that's one of the main attractions I really believe that has helped the group really grow is the fact that we're all about engaging and helping people and teaching and coaching and that kind of stuff. And I think the podcast really helps with that because we have gotten a lot of really great guests just like you guys. And there's a really good following with that. And that kind of dovetails in there nicely. Well, Marshall, we appreciate you you making this connection, and it's great to talk to Mark. For those of you that are listening through the Promo Kitchen version of the podcast, I'll quickly give you guys a rundown of what the two regular guys are about. If you're not familiar, this is our fourth year, like Mark said, about the same amount of time that Promo Kitchen's been going on. We're a live internet radio focused, a bit more on content and whatnot compared to other podcasts out there that maybe are a bit more polished. Uh, we kind of wear our technical difficulties as a badge of honor. <laughs> but hey, we've been blessed to have a ton of really amazing and knowledgeable guests on our show over the course of the years. You know, industry veterans like Mark Cudre, Johnny Shell, Eric Campbell, Lon Winters, Marshall, and other folks like that. And we also have been really fortunate to run across some really cool stories of people that haven't been in the industry all that long. A gentleman that was on the show talking about printing with coffee grounds or the guys over at Mobile Ink Pod that have come up with their own kind of niche and area of actually printing on site with a trailer that's got screen printing equipment in it and selling those pods as well. And just last week, we talked to a young man named James Beck, who I used to coach in volleyball and He's a graphic designer in our industry now, and he's sharing, you know, kind of his journey. So we're excited to talk to all those folks. And so that's who we are a little bit, but we got a ton of things to talk about here, guys. We kind of started out talking about the podcasting realm when we were talking about putting the show together, but that evolved into some other things. So why don't we start in that podcasting arena, though, in this little roundtable discussion? So First question I want us to discuss is why should a business want to get into podcasting? What do you see as the major benefits of launching something like this? We'll start off with Marshall sharing some of his thoughts, and then we'll get Mark's thoughts and Terry's, and we'll keep rolling here. So, Marshall, the stage is yours. Yeah. Well, thanks, Eric. So, to <laughs> me, the reason why somebody would really want to get into podcasts, especially these days where a lot of businesses are focused on online and their sales strategy growth. I think having a podcast instantly gives you the expert status. I don't know how well you guys feel about that, but Absolutely. it's one of these things where you're leading from the top by creating that content. And as far as anybody's social media marketing plans go, when you're creating your content, you're in control of your own destiny. You know, that's why I write my blog. I'm sure that's why you guys got into this podcast kind of thing is because you want it to be above everybody else, above the fray a little bit. And I think doing a podcast like this, especially if you can construct it and build it and grow it over time, I think it really leverages your sales opportunity because people know you. Even though you've never met them, they might have listened or they've seen that or they saw something or they read about it or whatever, and you're instantly a little more above everybody else. That's kind of how I see it. That's great stuff. Mark, what's your take? Yeah, Marshall, I'd absolutely echo what you pointed out. And I think that for me, it really comes down to this point of differentiation. I recognize that one of the challenges that we have in our respective industries, whether it's promotional products or in the decoration space, is that it's really easy to get into our respective businesses. So as a result, there's a lot of competition. It's difficult to differentiate between one person and the next. There's a lot of very common marketing tools that are out there that a lot of people use and end up looking the same. 
And so I've always been drawn to things that allow you to differentiate yourself from the next person. And podcasting absolutely allows you to do that. What I think is really neat about the platform is that it's just difficult enough that the hordes don't do it, but it's really not that difficult. I mean, you get someone like Marshall and myself, intelligent levels uh, like ourselves, and we can do it, then you know anyone can. Sorry, Marshall, for throwing you under the bus there. That wasn't fair. But, um, it, was, it was not very nice. I think that the other thing that I have learned outside of the differentiation is that it's been an incredible educational opportunity for me because if I'm co-hosting with Marshall or with anyone else within Promo Kitchen, we get the opportunity to speak to profoundly intelligent people that are guests that are able to talk about their areas of expertise. And so selfishly, I'm able as the interviewer to learn a ton. So it's a great excuse to get smart about your particular industry. And if it makes you come across like a thought leader in the process, then hey, that's a double win. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Mark. The learning that we've been able to do on this show has been amazing. One of the guests that we've had on our show, Alan Howe, had a great show about chemicals and I learned a ton and I've been in this industry for 17 years and we get comments from folks all the time about you know what they learned from that. So great stuff. Terry, what's your take on all that? I guess this is not going to be like a presidential debate because I'm in total agreement with, uh, <laughs> with <laughs> Marshall and Mark on this. You know, it is correct that there is a lot of competition out there and, and this is an easy business to get into on many levels. And so offering value sets you apart. And by doing something like this, it gives the customer out there, makes them feel like they can trust you and you've helped them. And, you know, education is going to help your customer sell more, which in turn means more to your business and more profit to your business. Now, Aaron and I are a little bit different because we're not actually selling something. <laughs> we're, we're just doing the podcast. So, Aaron, I'll follow up on what you said about learning. You know, it's so easy when you get involved in business to kind of hunker down and let the business consume you. And by doing this podcast every Friday, you know, you and I force ourselves to step out there and learn more about the industry and more about what we're doing and what other people are doing. So this is a great opportunity for you and I as well. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And there's some great conversation going on in the chat too, that I wanted to just kind of quickly share before we move on to the next subject here, guys. V at uh, Centralia Shop said that it subscribed to the Promo Kitchen last week. And so Eric Campbell said that it had such a good time on the Promo Kitchen podcast. It was a great experience. And so lots of love and going back and forth here, guys. So that's some good stuff. But um, <laughs> so we kind of talked about what the major benefits, but maybe the value beyond the thought leader part of it. You know, is it something that people can maybe use as a marketing tool? So what do you see the value of podcasting being for other businesses that might be listening today? I think that beyond thought leadership and the educational side of things, I think that where the value for other businesses really comes down to how it is that they can invest in their sense of curiosity. And I know that as a business that has invested in podcasting, ourselves, as well as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts, it has really honed my curiosity about life and about business. And I think that curiosity is one of these things that is often overlooked as a benefit in either running a company or in being an effective salesperson or a marketing person or an operations person. It doesn't matter where you're at. And I just love the fact that it has honed that sense of curiosity and also sharpened my ability to 
ask questions and to look at the world of business a little bit differently. So I would say that that would be the additional value of podcasting in my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's good stuff. Terry, how about your take? Well, you know, the thing I like about the value of podcasting is as a listener to podcasts, this is a great opportunity to sit down for an hour at lunch with an industry icon and being able to fire questions to them and learn from the people who have created our industry. So that's the value I see is just that being able to pick the brains of industry experts. Yeah, that's a really good point. Marshall, you have anything else to add there? Unfortunately not. We're all going to be on the same page. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we gotta. We need to come up with some topics more controversial. <laughs> I actually wanted to share something that you know. There's some great conversation going on in the chat room now, but V had mentioned educating without talking down to the audience is something, and you know, without preaching to them. And and I think that's a really good point to make. That how you come across is important in podcasting. So let's keep this rolling, though. You know, I think those two topics were were fairly similar, but getting into this and probably a good question for Mark, and I'm going to throw it to Terry first here, though, is what is the one thing you wish someone had told you about podcasting before you got started with it? Terry, I'm going to start with you and then we'll go to you, Mark. You know, it's interesting because Mark kind of touched on this already when he said how easy it was to do podcasting, because my first thought, Aaron, when you suggested that we do a podcast was, gosh, how are we going to fill a whole half hour with information? And I think, Aaron, what would we go, a month before we had to go to an hour? Because one of us yep. can kind of really go on and on and on. <laughs> so, so I think that was, the, that was the thing that I didn't know about podcasting was really how easy it was to fill that hour with quality information. And early on, Aaron, too, we had problems with guests showing up. We were brand new at it, and people didn't take it very seriously. So I think we had, out of our first probably six shows, we had three no-shows. But once we got some traction and got listeners from around the world, all of a sudden we're getting people calling us saying, hey, I'd love to be on your show. So I guess that was another thing that I didn't quite expect to happen. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Mark? What's uh, your take on that? I was going to say maybe two things. One is a general thing and one's a technical thing. Number one is that I know when I was first starting, I was a lot more scripted in how it is that I would interview people and I would have a list of questions and I would kind of stick to the program, which I think is a fit. But what I think what I learned in doing this over the last couple of years was that having an overly scripted format meant that the interview wasn't as honest. So what I learned and have evolved to is to have a script, to have that skeleton or have that foundation But to know that if you're treating this like a genuine conversation, like two or three people having a coffee or sharing a beer and are just curiously asking one another questions and they can go into various parts of the conversation, then I find that that creates a much more authentic situation. So if I listen to podcasts that I've done more recently compared to the ones that I started doing when I was a little bit more nervous, that's certainly a piece of advice that I would give to any new podcasters is to create a very comfortable and authentic environment. And a shout out to both you guys that you've done an excellent job of creating a very lightweight, but also content heavy and authentic experience. So shout out to you. And the other thing is from a technical perspective, this is really simple. I was recording all of my early interviews with GoToMeeting and GoToMeeting is fantastic, but it gives this one track And if you've got one person who sounds a little crappy and another person sounds okay, and one person's on a cell phone, then your audio would sound pretty rough. 
And I moved over to a platform called Zencaster. I'm not involved in Zencaster at all. I'm not an investor, so it's not a sales pitch, but they're fantastic in being able to record separate audio tracks, regardless of how many people you have, and it makes editing in post so much easier. So that's what I wish I had learned. <laughs> and I didn't come across Zencaster until maybe about a year ago. So it made my life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. We've also used Zencaster when we have had opportunities to record. You know, most of our podcast is live. And that does a couple things. It obviously <laughs> makes for some interesting moments. We've had people that had to actually leave in the middle of a, a conversation because the fire alarm was going on in the building and other things like that. But it also, like I said, fairly authentic too. And then bonus for me is that at the end of the show, there's no editing. So <laughs> it does <laughs> take a little bit of that time out of it. We start out with very little format and just you know, tried to kind of have a conversation and it was okay, but it just never really flowed. So like you said, having that skeleton, that show plan, and sometimes we might overscript a little bit on our end, but you know, you can always take away. And the other nice part about that is then that makes for some great show notes that you can share on the website after the, the shows are done. So technically that's always a, a good thing. Mark, before we move on though, there was a question in the chat room that I wanted to throw your way. It was from V and it asked, how much preparation goes into each show? You know, how much time do you spend per show? Well, first of all, thank you, V, for asking the question and for tuning in to this podcast. From a preparation standpoint, so everything that goes up to and including the point that I click record, so this doesn't include any of the editing or any of that time, I would say a typical episode now takes me about three hours of prep. So that's everything to do with pitching the guest, giving the guest information around how to log in, so some of the administrative things. And then I spend the bulk of that time on research and developing an angle for the episode. And that's something that I think is really important. And I've learned from other people who do podcasting way better than me, like the professionals, but is figuring out what the angle is. Because if there's no angle, it's not going to be interesting for the listener. And so I think research is really important. As I mentioned before, I will come up with a list of framework questions so that I can prepare the guest to be prepared for any number of questions. But then usually I'll then go off in all sorts of different directions based on their answers. And I think if you're not prepared, then it comes across as a hack show. So I think you need that right amount of preparation. And then that is what makes you comfortable to go off script. So I would Absolutely. say about three or four hours in the beginning, it was probably double. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, Marshall, I know we've kind of passed over you a little bit there on, on that last question, but anything else to add in that part of what we're discussing here? Well, we're talking about how an interview guest had to go because of a fire alarm. I think that was me. Oh. <laughs> I but the one thing that uh, I agree with the points here is making it conversational. And what's really interesting is people that are on these shows, I think, that do a really good job are the ones that there's a question and then there's two or three follow-up questions after that because you've just learned something, whatever it was, and you want to dig a little deeper to find out is there more gold down in that hole, you know? And then that yeah. makes the content much more valuable. And also you have to think, what does my listener want to find out? You know, and so it's one of these things, if you can keep digging a little bit, you can unearth 
a lot more than just what the basic question was. So Mark's point earlier about having a script and then having it just a skeleton and going off as a conversation is super valid, and you've got to keep pushing for more answers, I think. makes it more fun and in a better show, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, Marshall, I'm going to come right back to you here then. Why wouldn't a video show be better? Well, I think the video show has a lot of validity as well. You could certainly do that. However, having a podcast means somebody can listen to it in their car or while they're out jogging. Or, you know, a lot of people, especially in this industry, listen to your show while they're working. So they're running a press. You know, they're digitizing like Eric. You know, he always listens to you guys. So it's like one of these things where you can be listening to the show and actually still working. With a video, you know, you still have it's a monitor thing. So yeah. I think it really depends on the content and show that you want to create more than anything. But I think a podcast these days is a little more portable. Uh, that's a great point. I never really thought of it that way. Mark, what about you? What's your take on that? I do agree with the portability comment that Marshall had just mentioned. And it is interesting to think about people in the screen printing location that might be listening to you guys, and they definitely can't do that if it's a video. I think that the other point that I would make is that there's an intimacy to audio that you don't get with video. And it's interesting to hear people come up to me, certainly not that many people, but the odd person will come up to me at a show and say, I've been listening to the Promo Kitchen podcast for years, and I love the opportunity to listen to your voice while I drive to work. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm kind of flattered by that. <laughs> but, but I think it creates that emotional connection between the podcaster and the person who's listening to it and creates that emotional connection that I think you can't quite do the same in video. When we think about the power of radio since its inception, is it's always had that ability to allow you to imagine in a way that you can't really do with video because you can see the people speaking right there. So I think from a technical perspective, video is, it can be a little bit trickier. And also, I think that it can weird out some of your guests where they may be a little bit more comfortable knowing that their voice is being heard as opposed to having to get all you know made up nicely and make sure their lighting looks good. And that can, if you're not a professional, I think can make for not as great an interview. So I think that there's a lot more pitfalls with video, not suggesting it's not a good idea, but you can get away with more as a podcaster. Yeah, you actually have to put pants on for uh, a video show. So. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I'm assuming both you guys are in your you know, underwear right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, what about you? Yeah, in fact, in fact, I'm actually broadcasting from my mom's basement. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I'm not really doing that. <laughs> but hey, I'm going to presidential debate it a little bit. I'm going to jump back to the previous question. Aaron, when we prepare for the show, we do it through Google Docs, which is great because you and I can just kind of build our outline as the week goes. So I was trying to think, gosh, how much time do we put into it? Because since we kind of go back and forth on it, I'd have to put the stopwatch to it. But what I wanted to say, though, and this kind of ties into what the guys are saying about intimidating the guests by doing video, the reason that we do what we'll usually do about six questions is we'll give those out to the guests to make them a little more comfortable about what they're going to say so they can prepare a little more. So I think the list of questions for us is more to make the guest comfortable than it is for us to use as a guideline of how we do the show. We certainly go off script often. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to say about our preparation for the show is something that we changed here, Aaron, a few months ago was we felt like we were trying to get too much content into each show. 
And so we decided that we're going to drill down, which for us meant we're going to take one of these questions and really, really dig down deep and give our listeners a lot more content. So and I think we're probably having one of these moments uh, in live radio. I don't know if you can hear my grandson in the other room crying a little bit, but uh, <laughs> the... <laughs> Uh, and I'll also go along with the reason we're doing audio is I couldn't tell you how many people have come up to me at trade shows and said, hey, we listen to your show in our shop. You know, everybody listens to the show on Friday or, or whenever they decide they want to listen to it on iTunes. But same situation that Marshall was talking about. While they're uh, running the press, they're listening to the show. And shout out to all you guys out there listening uh, who, who are running presses or running embroidery machines or running whatever it is you're doing today. We're glad you're here. Good stuff. Lots of people are now yelling in their shops. Good job, Terry. <laughs> 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 uh, so here's a good question from the, the chat room. Another thing we love about this live format here is we get some great stuff in the chat room, too. I can't always share it all, and we always try to put the chat log into our show notes after the fact, so we'll do that here for sure. But B is asked, have you ever put a guest on the hot seat? Why or why not? And uh, I'll start off there if, if you guys don't mind. Like Terry said, we do try to give the guests, you know, a pretty good list of the questions and try to stay somewhat on target. You know, don't necessarily want to put them on the hot seat because it, it just makes things a little bit awkward and, and not flow as well. But at the same time, you know, I don't think we have any problem trying to ask some harder questions at times, especially for me now in my current situation where I'm not an employee of anybody. You know, I can speak a little bit more openly at times. So that's one thing, V. And then, but at the same time, we're about sharing content. I think we're looking to have a, a radio show like a Howard Stern type show where we want to make waves <laughs> and get listeners that way. We want to actually help people grow their business. And if you have guests that are working together with you, like we've had, it tends to work out a lot better. So Mark, you have any feedback on that? I agree that the Howard Stern approach is probably not the right one for a podcast like ours. But my approach here is that I think it's really important to prepare the guest, particularly if you're going to ask a tough question. A part of the mandate of Promo Kitchen is to address the white elephants in our industry. And I love asking those questions that not necessarily make them look bad, but I frame it more as what is the audience thinking? What is the listener really thinking when I'm interviewing this person? And if we all know that the person that I'm speaking to may represent something controversial or something worries people, then I might as well be the guy to ask that question. And again, I can prepare the guest and say, I'm going to ask you a question about the potentially negative side effects of consolidation in the promotional products industry. Okay. And I'm just making this up, but let's yeah. say the guest that I'm interviewing is someone that has just purchased another large competitor and now they're a mega supplier. And while I can be talking a lot about how that's great and congratulations, I can also say, listen, this scares the bejesus out of a lot of people that this is going to happen. What are your comments about that? And I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a question that make them look bad. It's actually an opportunity for them to set the record straight. And I always think that that's important because it then builds an honest rapport between you and the listener. And at the end of the day, the listener is your true customer. The guest, sure, they're a stakeholder and a customer as well, but we're doing this for the listener. 
at the same time with respecting the guest. And that's sometimes a bit of a tricky balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So kind of leading into that then, and I'm going to go right back to you here, Mark, is, is it okay to then allow them to promote something or sell something? Or do you think that turns listeners off? I think it's a slippery slope and a bit of a gray area. What we've chosen to do on the Promo Kitchen podcast is to give the guest the kind of the last word. So it's an opportunity for them to talk a little bit about themselves, where people can contact them, if there's any information about their business that they wish to share. But outside of that, I think it's important that we set the expectation with the guest that this is not an opportunity for them to promote and sell. We were saying in the setup, that turns listeners off. And then to my point before, the relationship that is most important is the relationship that we have with our listener. Then we don't want to get in the way of that. So for me, I may be a bit on the strict side in terms of how it is that we like to separate editorial from sponsorship, but I think it served us well. And I think that the guest, as long as their expectation is set accordingly, then they're actually able to get a lot more business out of it if they come across as authentic and not being a cheesy salesperson. So that's what I always say to them. You'll get a lot of business out of this, but you have to be real. You have to be authentic and you can't be selling your stuff because a listener is smart and they'll call you on it. That's a great point. Marshall, you have anything else to share along those lines? Well, I think just being on a show as a guest affords people the opportunity to talk about what they do because that's why they're the guest. So, you know, you have the president of a company or somebody who's invented something or, you know, whatever, okay, just being as the guest and talking about whatever you're answering your questions, they're going to be able to speak from authority and people are going to go, well, oh, I haven't really looked at them, or I don't really understand that, or whatever, and then they're going to be responsive and be more interested in them anyway. I think it's just human nature to be curious, which is, you know, why we get into a lot of problems sometimes, because we're curious. But, but um, <laughs> you know, um, you know so that just having, having that as a platform, as a guest, affords you that selling opportunity where you don't really have to say, you know, on Tuesday the thing is half off. You don't have to say that. Great point. Yeah. Good you stuff. know, Aaron, and we always, especially if we're having someone on our show that could be construed as promoting themselves, because sometimes, the, you know, the, the subject has to come around to what product you're selling or whatever. But we've always made a point of telling our guests that, okay, this is not a selling opportunity. This is your opportunity to educate or to share information. And let's talk about some types of things that you'd like to share. And we do the same also with our guests, give them that last word, give them the opportunity to, hey, uh, where can people find you? What's your uh, social media names, things like that. So I think we're kind of on the same page there. And, yeah. you know, I guess, Aaron, we do a little bit of promotion, I guess, because we do tell our listeners at the end of the show, you know, where we're going to be next or events and classes and seminars, things like that. But I guess that's kind of a kind of a soft sell. Yeah. Well, and yeah, nice I think that's about, different. That's different. Yeah. No, I I agree with with Mark there, and I, I think the nice part about a podcast is you know, and we kind of do it the same spot every time. So if you don't want to hear about that, just turn it off. <laughs> you know, get get what you want to get out of it, and and you can go he was away. Kidding. Don't turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's good stuff. And unfortunately, I continue to have to agree with you guys here. We're going to have to come up with some sort of a topic that makes this more controversial. But <laughs> you know, I, And I think for us, too, the other 
kind of thing that we like and, and people would rather you know, hear the story, you know, the best salespeople aren't really out there selling anyways. So, you know, they're, they're telling a story and they're helping people solve problems. They're not actually selling. I, I was reading a good article this morning on Medium about some social media kind of shows that are out there, like trade show type things, where now people are starting to go to the format where speakers are actually paying to go and speak. And I know we have a little bit of that in our industry at times. And, and I'm really against that kind of thing. I, I'm not sure I want to go to a, a seminar, even if it's free, and listen to somebody that's paid to be there because now it's a 90-minute sales yeah. pitch, not sharing yeah. content. Now, yeah. people do a good job of not making it a sales pitch. And so there are some good stuff out there in those arenas. But man, I'd much rather go somewhere where I spend you know, $35, $40, $50 to sit down and actually learn something from somebody from 90 minutes. So yeah, that's, that's definitely my point there. So I guess the next question that I want to kind of throw out there that we talked about is topics and guests, you know, and I'm actually going to start with you here, Marshall, because you're the one that brought this thing together for us. And I appreciate that. But, you know, what are some of your thoughts on ways that podcasts can decide on topics and guests to have? What interests you? So if you're building a podcast, your focus is on whatever it is, and you're going to build an audience. And I think it's just like any business where you write a business plan. You want to focus on your core demographic. It's the same thing with a podcast. And so for me, straddling the fence here a little bit because I'm a promo kitchen chef, but I'm also in the industry that you guys support, and I've been on both podcasts. So one day it just kind of dawned on me, hey, let's do a mega podcast and put everything together. So it's like, hey, guys, let's put on a show. You know, so it's like, <laughs> I, I think um, Our game. If, you're, yeah, if you're starting a podcast, you have that natural curiosity about stuff. So if you're looking for a topic or you're looking for a guest, you want to bring people in that other people will find interesting or have something to say. But I think you also need to find guests or topics they're a little dynamic. You, know, you don't want to interview somebody super boring. You know, you want to interview somebody that's got a personality and, and it can go somewhere. So I think you just have to kind of look at things and be true to what your core interests are. Yeah, so there that's, go. that's good stuff. <laughs> How about you, Terry? What's, uh, what's your process for bringing in guests to the show? Well, I think, first of all, Aaron, for you and I, we get to talk about things that are near and dear to our hearts, like training and education. We love talking about that and, and promoting it. We talk a lot about niche markets, things like that. You know, Aaron, you like to talk about social media a lot. So we get to talk about things that are interesting to us. And the other thing we do is keep our ear to the ground for new trends, new ideas. I know that you and I both do a lot of this show prospecting and planning at the trade shows. And you run into somebody and, and you find out something new that they're doing. And, you know, my first thought is, hey, would you like to be on, on the podcast and talk about this? And, and so I guess that's the big thing mostly talking about things that we like talking about, including chicken wings occasionally, and, uh, <laughs> and, and then finding out what's new at all the shows. Yeah, definitely. Mark, how about you? How do you guys kind of figure out what's going to be next on Promo Kitchen? You know, I think you guys have done an excellent job of covering a lot of the bases. I think the only way to really add to this is like, what's the itch that your audience has? Like, what are the things that keep them up at night? What are those white elephants? What are the things that you think that they would find interesting? And, and some of that is also just asking the guests as to what it is that they think. And so that has led us into all sorts of interesting areas where we've been able to 
attract guests that have been able to speak about specific trends or they've been able to speak about you know consolidation like I had just mentioned. A number of people in our industry are big fans of Seth Godin. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, I think you'd be great for this podcast and you'd be able to talk about some of the things that really worry people in our industry as a marketing leader. What do you think? And he came onto the show, which was a great honor. So I think that these are the types of things that you really look for, but it's that angle, the hook, and then also just understanding what's in it for the guest. There has to be something in it for them. Uh, They're they're not going to spend an hour of their time if there's not going to be any win for them as well. So I think that's important to understand as well. That's that's a really good point. So Mark, I'm going to actually go off what you said earlier as far as what keeps people up at night in the promotional products industry. What are those things that keep you up at night? Well, if I was to speak for the industry, which is always a very difficult spot to be put (laughs) into, I, I would think that there are a couple of things that worry people in the promo space. And I'd be interested to throw it back at you guys to see whether they're the same in the decorating space. I think number one, technology is something that worries a lot of people in the promotional products industry. And when I say technology, specifically what's happening online and the emergence of online sellers, whether they're suppliers or whether they're distributors that are now able to process an order, add a logo and take business from the traditional bricks and mortar or just relationship transaction type promotional products distributor. So there's lots of people who are worried about that. Now, there's also lots of people who see that as a tremendous opportunity as well, which I find exciting. So that would be maybe one thing. I think number two is the consolidation that I had mentioned before. There's a lot of consolidation happening in this industry. There's a lot of small players that are getting gobbled up and being merged in with other entities. So people don't really know what that means. I think number three, and I'll leave it at here because most people can only really remember three things, is this idea of the distributor, supplier, end client model, something that has been held rather sacred in the promotional products industry for many, many years in terms of it's the distributor who sells to the end client and the distributor will then go and source products from a supplier who will then go and ship the product to the end client. And that's a model that I think works very well for the most part, but there's parts of it that are starting to break. And we have to understand why that's happening. But the fact that there is some supply chain of drama going on, I think worries some people in the promotion products industry, specifically distributors that are getting disrupted and getting sold around because they don't offer that value anymore to their client. So I would sum it up as technology, consolidation, and concerns about the supplier, distributor, and client model. Those are good ones. I think in our industry, we've got probably some similar things, but also some differences. A lot of the people that I've had the opportunity to talk to are concerned just about the competitors that they see popping up on every corner because of things like technology where it's so much easier for anybody to get a store on Cafe Press or something along those lines. And now they're competing with that person that just doesn't really understand the business and what it takes to remain profitable. I was talking to a gentleman the other day that is writing his business plan and you know getting into the weeds of what his competition looks like and realize that the local prison actually is a competitor of his that uh, you know willing to do cut rate work because they don't have to pay for the labor and uh, you know so right. that was a concern of his and, and my point back to him was well there's a ton of people out there doing this what's your strength and not many of them are very good at it though many people that get into the business that many people probably get out of the business uh, at the same time so you know, what are you going to do to set yourself apart? 
But Marshall, what keeps you up at night? Well, the thing that I've been thinking about the most lately is what I call the power of the mega versus the friendliness of a small business. So if you look at Amazon, you've got Custom Make, and you've got all these huge online presence where they've got all this venture capital funding and they're just buying six cornets for their shop and it's just this huge deal, okay? How is the small shop going to compete with that? Yeah. So there's this huge dichotomy in this industry. And I think on the promo side of stuff, apparel is a huge part of promo. So I think it's very relatable. So there's a lot of this kind of anxiety and tension that's out there in the industry. And Mark was alluding to that, where how are we going to compete with this gigantic Goliath, right? Well, we all know how David, you know, he won, right? So it's like, I think what you have to do is you have to think about your strength. And you were just talking about that. The strength of the small shop is the consultative cell. Is you can show them the difference between these two different pieces of fleece. Or like if you're in a embroidery shop, you can have samples of all your fonts sewn already so you can see how well that's going to stitch out when it's only six millimeters high or whatever. And I think that type of thing affords you to grow your business because people only do business with things that they trust. So if you can push the trust, okay, then that online giant only offers their ability to sell to somebody on their couch in their underwear. You know, they can't compete with that. So that's one of the things that I'm always talking with my consulting clients about is what are you selling? What is your strength? What are you offering? And then that's what you scream from the mountaintop all the time. So, you know, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I really wholeheartedly agree with that. You talked about the Amazon situation. I've talked with lots of people about that in our industry, you know, some of the concerns with them getting into it. But like you said, you know, is Jeff Bezos really going to talk to me about my 12 shirt order? Probably not. Is Marshall Atkinson (laughs) going to do that? Absolutely. And that's, to me, what sets a lot of the folks apart that are going to be able to compete with those bohemists, like Marshall said. But Terry, what else have you heard out there? And, you know, what keeps you up at night besides... KU basketball losses. <laughs> Rock Chuck Jayhawk, exactly. <laughs> hey, yeah. I love what Marshall said about what are you selling because so many people answer that question with, well, I'm selling sweatshirts. No, you're not. You're selling ease of purchase. You're selling a thousand other things, but you have to know where you're coming from. But I'm going to take a different angle here because I've spent most of my career out on production floors, you know, both large and small. And the thing that keeps coming back to me from people who run production is something fairly simple. It's scheduling production. People will literally tell me they wake up in the middle of the night thinking, did I get this order done or how am I going to get this done? And because people don't know how to schedule what they're doing. Most people base their scheduling on best case scenario. And out in the real world, that doesn't work. You have to base your schedule on what you're capable of doing right now today. And I'm doing a seminar on this at all the DAC shows. And I promise you, every seat will be filled because people who are out there running screen printing shops and embroidery shops and all these different shops are just confounded about how to properly schedule their production. So that's the thing that I see that keep people up at night on the manufacturing end. Yeah, 
So we've talked a little bit through this part of the discussion about kind of some of the technology, but maybe let's dig in a little bit deeper on that and get a little more specific with how this technology is impacting our industries. And Marshall, why don't I start with you here? You talked about the Amazons and the Megas and some of the new equipment, but Skynet. Uh, Skynet yeah, <laughs> all, the, all those scenarios. What do you see are the pluses and minuses here? Well, it really depends on your customer base, but as a whole, we're all going to move digital. It's all going to be digital. I don't know how many people saw the new M&R digital squeegee. You know, MHM's got one too that's coming out, and I think Corinne's going to have one soon. So, which is basically, as you know, as the squeegee travels on the press, it's just printing traditional ink. But now you got a digital squeegee that's doing CMYK four-color process, and it's printing over top of a high solid acrylic. You know, once they figure that out and get that going, these people that can afford that four hundred or $500,000 press are going to be able to do these quick turns, lots of runs, Lots of customization, lots of really cool things. I can remember when a calculator was $400. You know, now it's three bucks at the checkout line. So as technology is going to advance, the price for this stuff is going to drop. The capability is going to get so much faster. And what's going to happen is this technology is going to really improve. And you're going to see, especially with the online marketing and selling, you're going to see more people getting in space, and that's going to create a lot of confusion and disruption and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be, in the next three to five years, it's going to be so crazy in this industry. It's going to be very interesting. So who knows what's going to happen, but buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So, Mark, how about from the promotional products side of this uh, equation? What's the technology doing there, and what should people be looking at? I think that there's two opportunities with technology in the promo space, and I would define them as uh, public-facing and then uh, back-end-facing. So if you start off with the public-facing side, the opportunity for people in the promotion products industry is to really step up their public-facing digital presence. So whether that's with a really well-designed, distinctive web presence, tons of customers are now making their decisions on a Google search and they land on you and you look exactly the same as someone else because you're using a white label website hosting product, then chances are it's going to be hard for you to cut through the clutter. So I think that what we're seeing successful distributors and suppliers do in the promotional space is they invest in experience-based websites where they showcase case studies, they showcase customer stories, they showcase the things that are unique to them as opposed to a product that literally everyone else in the industry has access to. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. And then, of course, the other opportunity in public-facing websites is whether you want to go into the e-commerce realm. That's, I think, the right call for some kinds of distributors, and I think it's the wrong call for other types of distributors. It really just depends on the kind of business and the kind of client you're trying to service. But there's no question that technology massively impacts and represents a great opportunity for people on the public-facing side of a business. On the back-end side, it's often an area that a lot of people disregard because it's not as sexy and it's because a lot of people don't interact with it. But my experience is that there's a lot of magic that happens on the back-end, the back-side of a business that allows it to be 
truly efficient. And I think that one of the things that you find in the promotional product space, and I suspect is probably similar in your space in the decorating world, is the massive amount of double entry and inefficiency as distributors and suppliers are trying to process their orders, try to interact with their colleagues, as well as trying to interact with their customer base. And the level of software and technology that's available out there is pretty primitive. And I think there's a great opportunity on that side. And that's something we've had a lot of experience with in our distributorship at Right Sleeve and just really learned the benefits of really streamlining your entire back end so that would give you a platform to scale and grow efficiently as opposed to just constantly running around fighting fires and dealing with paper all day long. So that's how I would encapsulate it. Yeah, that's great. I love learning more about you know, that side of the business and, and where you guys are, are headed over there. I'm not trying to say that you're talking for the, the industry there, Mark, but you know, it's great insight from somebody <laughs> that's involved. Terry, I want to get your take, but I also wanted to share something that Alan mentioned and kind of actually directed at you. He said, Terry, good direct garment printers have not increased in price hardly since the days of the T-Jet and the Brother GT541, but yet today's machines are way better. So I thought that was an interesting point and maybe some of your take on that, Terry, and your thoughts. Alan is exactly correct. I couldn't agree more that the prices, they, they kind of took a little peak and then and then back down again. And, but the quality, the well, I, I compare it to the early days of automobiles. When automobiles first came about, no, Aaron, I wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> with, darn it, you took my joke. <laughs> with, with, you had to have a lot of money and you had to be a mechanic in the early days. And that's the way it was with direct garment as well. But today, the new machines today, and I'm not talking about the repurposed machines where they've taken an Epson or a, a Rico printer for paper and made it into a direct garment printer. The machines that are manufactured specifically for this purpose, much more commercial. And also, you know, among other uh, decorations like screen printing, it's just things are so much easier today with direct-to-screen imaging, that sort of thing. But I, I want to take another uh, approach to this as well. Impact of technology like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and we are just bombarded with information now. Apparently, all you need is a video camera to be an expert, and there is so much really, really bad information out there in the industry. I had somebody in one of my screen printing classes, almost every point I would bring up, he would raise his hand and say, you know, on the internet, they say to do it like this. You know, on the internet, they say that this is what you should do. You know, on the internet, it got to the point where I said, I, you know, I've never done this before, but I'm from this point forward banning you from the internet because you only go to websites that have the, the worst information that you could imagine. So that's a negative of technology is that there's such a free flow of information and there's so much really, really poor information. You know, you got to take things with a grain of salt and check with more than one source when you're out there uh, looking for the how-tos. You know, I think people have kind of maybe gotten a little bit lazy because of the free flow of information and, you know, kind of going, okay, well, <laughs> just like the, the commercial, you know, not everything on the Internet's true. And so actually because <laughs> the fact that there's so much more information out there because of technology like podcasts and social media and whatnot, it's more important than ever to actually make sure that you're vetting that information and making sure that it is correct and checking multiple sources and doing a little extra work there where it used to be where, you know, you had your trusted source, your trusted sales rep that was going to come in and sell you the bucket of ink, but you could also, you know, bend his ear on issues you were having. That's not necessarily the case anymore when you go and buy it on the internet. And then, you know, you look at that guy's videos and you go, 
okay, but somebody that maybe is doing it differently, it, you know, it, it's just part of the process now. You have to do more homework. So I think that's a really good exactly. point. So guys, we're into our bonus time here. We normally keep our show to an hour, but I love the fact that we're going to keep going. So if you guys are good, I got a couple more things I'd like to touch on before we get out of here. Everybody ready to keep going? Sure. Let's rock. All right. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we've talked about some of the threats and we've talked about, you know, some of the ways that, uh, you know, you can set yourself apart, you know, as a, maybe a smaller business than Amazon and, and things like that. You know, how do you rise above those competitive threats with the commoditization, you know, the, the fact that it's so much easier to get products from overseas than it ever was before? So, Mark, I'm going to go back and, and start with you here. What are some of your takes on how to rise above those competitive threats? I think for me, I can only give you my personal experience in having started a distributorship in the promotional products industry as well as a software company. And for me, it comes down to a couple of basic things. When I say basic, I don't mean they're necessarily easy, but they're just things that maybe come across as being rather basic. Number one, I think it's important to have a strong opinion about what it is that you're good at. And it, that opinion, if it can resonate with customers, if you can communicate that effectively with your customer base, then they're going to remember you as a company that has an opinion or some thought leadership in your particular space. And at the end of the day, it's hard to copy someone's opinion because it's not like you're copying a product that's out of, let's say, a main industry supplier catalog it's now something that's unique to you. So focus on that opinion, focus on that area of expertise that you really bring to the table and recognizing that you're more than just someone who can get a product out of a catalog. Because if you're the latter guy, you may pick up a little bit of business because you're a good person in the community, but at the end of the day, you're not going to build a sustainable, differentiated business. I think the other thing for me that has been a huge thing of passion for me in starting my businesses has been the art of branding. And that goes hand in hand with having an opinion, I think. But if you can invest in a strong brand that stands for something that is rooted in customer experience, then that is so hard to copy. That is all about you. It's your unique value. And it's difficult to rip off a brand because once that brand has established a relationship with the customer, it's very, very hard to break that. And I see that a lot of people... I think in a lot of industries, but I can speak more authoritatively in the promotional products industry, struggle with doing those two things because they see this industry as first and foremost a sales business. And it's a business where they're moving a product from point A to point B with someone that trusts them to do so. And for me, I feel that's way too quaint a value proposition in 2017 because that's where Amazon or the online competitors are going to come and take you out if you have not invested in those things that I just mentioned. That's great stuff. Marshall, what about your take on that? You know, I think just kind of pushing a little what Mark said, to me, the thing that's going to compete against that commoditization is just really solving problems for people. I've been very lucky over the last couple of decades, and I've had several clients follow me around the shops that I've worked for because that I've helped them and I've solved problems for them because they couldn't figure out how to do it or it was a timeline or it was a decoration type or whatever it was. And it's just people build that trust over time and they like that. So what happens is you just continue to grow. So that becomes your main selling point, so to speak, is because you're a person that you can be or a company 
that can solve the problem for them, you're going to win all the time because nobody else is going to do that, and they're left hanging and wondering what to do and how do I do it. And, you know, to Terry's point where the Internet said, so if you're solving that problem for them, you're much more influential than the Internet. Yeah. All excellent points, and uh, the chat room is agreeing wholeheartedly with you, Marshall, so keep it up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Terry, what, what about your thoughts? You, know, you, you work with a lot of real newbies, and I'm sure you hear a lot of their concerns. So what's your advice to them for how to overcome some of these threats? Well, you know, one thing, Aaron, is that the Amazons of the world, it, hey, I, I, I order from Amazon three or four times a week. <laughs> so I guess I, I'm guilty of being sucked in because they make it so easy for us. So it should make all of us better, too, as people out there selling in the industry. You can't coast anymore because those guys will eat you up. So it should make us all better and be better at what you do. My advice to people is always kill your customers with quality and service. When people come to me and say in the direct-to-garment arena that I sell in now, they'll say, gosh, how can I compete with the Cafe Press? How can I compete with Zazzle? And, And I always say you have one advantage because when somebody sends a file to say Cafe Press, they're going to print that file and send it back. What you're going to do is say, gosh, you know, if you gave me a better higher resolution file, or if we did this, or if we did that, it's going to make this better. You're not going to get that from the big conglomerate decorator. But my final point here is something that I preach about on this show fairly regularly. Find your niche and own that niche. Know everything there is to know about that marketplace, and you will be able to find and keep those customers. Yeah, niche marketing is definitely something big for both Terry and I. And my take on it, too, is, you know, we're talking about threats and how we compete with them. I'm also of the camp of uh, cooperation. And let's figure out how we can maybe work together. You know, should we be looking at an Amazon platform as a platform to be selling on? Should we be partnering up with a company from China that, that wants to have a bigger presence in the States and work with them? And so that's something that I always talk to folks about is, how do we cooperate more with our competition and maybe, you know, make all of us rise at the same time? And so that's one thing. And then the other point that I always make to folks when we're talking about how to overcome some of the competition out there is just make sure that you have a plan. I think far too often, you know, and I know I'm guilty of this as well throughout my career, there's just not a plan. You know, a business plan should certainly be in place, but a marketing plan is a must have for every business. Because then you at least have that rudder in the ocean, so to speak. So you're going the right direction and you're going to reach a target. If you're just out there trying to compete and trying to figure out low price or this or that or the other thing, and you haven't actually thought out a plan that you can measure, you're going to be in a, in a rough spot six months down the road and just wasted a whole bunch of money going around in a circle. So that's my take on it. All right, guys, just kind of wrapping up a few loose ends and some things that were in the chat room that I want to show that. First off, there was a ton of fantastic stuff in the chat room today, guys, and I couldn't get to all of it. So like I said, it will be up on the show notes uh, once I get those up here over the weekend. But I'm going to start with you here, Marshall. We're talking about podcasting early on, and obviously we're doing a podcast here. What are some non-industry podcasts that you recommend? Besides Promo Kitchen, since the two regular guys, those are the only podcasts available. <laughs> well, if you had to listen to another one. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Gary V, and I listen to Ted, NPR. If I'm going to be just listening to stuff, I'm going to listen to stuff that's more news-oriented and can give me some information that might be interesting. You know, it's just I don't really have a lot of time to listen to a lot of podcasts, honestly. So if I'm just going to do 
some stuff. I'm going to look for just the major things. I guess I should really expand my search for that. So I'm interested <laughs> in what other people are seeing as well. <laughs> there were some, also some good things in the chat, but I'll share mine real quick. You know, this is completely out of the industry, probably won't help anybody, but it is the reason that we started this show. It made me start thinking about it as a podcast called The Net Live, and they talk all things volleyball. It's a former Olympian and, hmm. and the uh, DJ of the Association of Volleyball Professionals, a professional beach tour. It's a two-hour-long show. It can be entertaining, but it, you have to be a volleyball nut to listen in. So that, that's just the, off the, the side, but <laughs> useful ones that people can actually sink their teeth into that I listen to all the time is a podcast called Marketing Over Coffee. It's by Christopher Penn and John Wall. Two marketing guys, Christopher Penn is, is like the data marketing guy, just huge amounts of information. Their podcast is only 30 minutes, and it's like quick hit tips. There's not a podcast I've listened to of theirs that I haven't wrote down something that I needed to go and, and do for myself when it came to marketing. So that's a good one. This one just is more of an overall and you know, certainly not for all of our listeners, but the Art of Manliness podcast. Some really interesting topics on there and worth listening to geared towards men. But my wife actually listens to it with me at, at times and, and she's taken some great information out of that too. So those are my two podcasts. What about you, Mark? Anything else that you would add there? Aaron, thanks for those recommendations. I'm actually on my phone right now subscribing to a few of those. So that's, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the marketing over coffee looks fantastic. I'm a huge podcast nerd when it comes to listening to podcasts. And I think that, if anything, it keeps you sharp as someone who's hosting a podcast to listen to people who are way better than you at it. And it also just keeps you smart. And I think curious as well. That's certainly a theme that I've talked about. I'll just rhyme off a couple of here that you guys have not mentioned. There's a podcast called How I Built This, which is actually hosted by the same person who hosts the TED Radio Hour. And oh, wow. it's a great podcast all about entrepreneurs and how they started their business. And it's very fascinating just to understand how it is that they got into business and how they made the decisions. And I just love the art and science of entrepreneurship. So I'd recommend that. There is a fabulous podcast called Startup. And... They actually just completed their fourth season where they focused on the demise of American Apparel, which as someone who's in the promotion products industry and bought a lot from American Apparel is absolutely riveting. It's probably one of the best pieces of business journalism I have ever heard. And I know that folks listening to your podcast, Aaron and Terry, are certainly very into the apparel side, and I'd recommend that. So that's Startup Podcast. There's another podcast called Under the Influence hosted by a fellow Canadian, Terry O'Reilly, and it's a marketing podcast. He's a great storyteller, great production values. And I was just listening to that on my way into work. And I'll give you one more. I, I could go off and I, I could actually share a blog post that I wrote about all my favorite podcasts if you want to include that in your show notes. Yes. But another one is called Planet Money. It's an NPR podcast, and it's all about economics and finance. And you'd think it was the most boring thing ever. But they do such a great job of appealing to the regular listener and just injecting some hilarious stories about the world of finance and economics. It's a fantastic podcast, Planet Money. So I'll stop there. Awesome. Well, those are some good things. I, I know Terry only listens to two regular guys, so I'm not going to bother with you, Terry. Um, <laughs> my, my drive to work, Aaron, is about 10 feet to the coffee maker. So uh, <laughs> you have to be a pretty short podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just a couple from the chat room that I thought I'd share too. And Mark absolutely would love to have that blog and, and we'll post it up in our show notes and share it out there because I know it'll be good stuff. 
But Alan Howe mentioned that he's got a buddy that's doing a podcast called The Coolest Human, just started. So we'll see where that one goes. I'm not sure if you guys mentioned this. I may have misheard, but Freakonomics is one that V mentioned, Inc. Uncensored, and EO Fire. So I'm not familiar with any of them except for Freakonomics, which is also a very good podcast. I haven't had a chance to really listen, but I've heard a couple of their episodes and it's outstanding. So Good stuff, guys. Any last kind of parting thoughts on this before we get into wrapping up the program? Mark, I'll start with you. My closing thoughts would be a a big thank you to all of you for having me represent Promo Kitchen and the promotional products industry on your great podcast. And I would say that, you know, it's funny for me as a listener of your show, and I had an opportunity to listen to a bunch of episodes to prepare for this. It's always kind of neat when you develop a relationship with podcasters when you're walking to work and then you get the opportunity to speak with them. And I think that speaks to the testament of that emotional connection that you have with podcasting. And, you know, to hear you guys and to have an opportunity to interact has been pretty cool. So thank you for that. And I just say keep up the great work. All right, guys. So we've done this a few times on our show as a new segment, and we're going to throw it to you guys. We want to hear five things from you, and I'll let you guys fight out who's going to do what or how you're going to go about this, but the floor is yours. Mm, so, Mark, you're going to arm wrestle or what? <laughs> I think I would lose I would lose to you, Marshall. You're a strapping young man. So <laughs> I think that one thing that we could talk about, and Marshall, more than happy to go back and forth on this with the five ideas, is five things to know before starting a podcast. And this would really be directed at people that are curious about how to start a podcast if we have done our job here today in terms of you know promoting the benefits of it. So why don't we start off with that? What do you think, Marshall? That sounds like a plan. All right. I'm going to start off with the first one, and then we'll go back and forth here. So okay. uh, in no particular order, the first thing that you should know before starting a podcast is picking your topic. And you might think that that is the most basic piece of advice out there, but Podcasts will fail if the topic is not tight and is a topic that resonates with the audience. And what I always say is, what are you passionate about and what problem are you looking to solve on your listener's behalf? And I think if you can focus on those two things, then understanding the topic will be much, much easier to come up with. I think that's great. So the number two thing I think would be don't be afraid to fail. Just relax and go for it because there's an old statement that says if you're not scaring yourself, you're not pushing yourself. People or companies that want to start into getting into the podcast thing might want to just consider, hey, let's just try it, see if it works. If it doesn't, then, you know, at least we gave it a shot. That's excellent. I think the third thing I would say is to understand your objective for getting into the podcast in the first place. And examples of that could be you want to start a podcast so that you can generate more sales. That's a completely legitimate objective. Another objective could be to meet new people. Another objective could be to establish yourself as a thought leader. That was something that we were talking about earlier in the program. Another objective could be community building. And the list goes on and on. And I think that starting a podcast is no different than starting a business or starting really any new project. And I think it's really important to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve because then everything will be aligned in the service of accomplishing that objective. Yeah. And I think a great number three is going to be just kind of understanding the technology. I think, Mark, you would recommend Zencaster 
you know, but you could do it any way that you have access to, you know, that could be a go to meeting or any other type of technology based software. So you can record and you can try it and work it out. And if it works, great. If not, learn what didn't happen correctly and then just adjust from there. Yeah. I think number four, I would focus on picking the style of podcast that you want to do. There's a number of different types of podcasts that are out there. Examples would include an interview-based podcast. Another is an opinion-based podcast. So that would be typically one or two people that would be weighing in on a specific topic and giving their particular opinion or feedback. Live podcasts like we're doing right now is another example. And you've got you know, some limitations with live podcasting, but you also have this tremendous ability to interact with the audience live as well. And another style of podcast is what's called a narrative style podcast. That's usually where there's some narrative that's put in over top of an interview. And you usually see a lot of that when you've got a, maybe more sophisticated teams that are behind it. I think most of the amateurs, myself included, may get a little intimidated by those narrative style podcasts because you just don't have these big production teams. But if you've ever listened to anything on NPR or CBC, a lot of those are narrative based podcasts. Yeah. And then I guess I get the last word, which is going to be fun. F-U-N. I think the reason why Two Regular Guys is so successful is because they're always laughing and joking and making fun of each other and, you know, that type of stuff. So I think to be successful, I think you need to interject fun, be yourself, relax, make sure you can throw some humor in there, you know, that type of thing. And I think just kind of make it more a conversation and I think you'll do great. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. What a wonderful chat today. I appreciate you hanging around and giving us those five things. Great feedback for everybody. We will catch up with you guys. There's plenty of more meat left, so we're going to have to do this again and we'll be in touch. And, and thanks to all the Promo Kitchen listeners for spending some time with us today. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.